Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Wrap, uh, where we talk contact centres. And my guest today is somebody who, in meeting her in our special interest groups, was somebody who gave me the germ of the idea to do this because the conversations we were having, I used to think, oh, we have to share these. I wish other people could hear some of the stuff we're talking about. So I'm very pleased that she's agreed to be one of the very first guinea pigs in this podcast. Um, Rachel Goddard, who is Quality Assurance Manager for a general insurance call centre with over 2,000 employees. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Martin. Thanks very much for... No problem. And yeah, like I say, so some of these conversations we've been having, I just thought, oh, they're, they're the types of things where your passion and interest in... QA and QA as a as own industry within call centres is something that's just so interesting to to hear about. But I wondered if you could just give a bit of background about your own journey and experiences to be here today. Of course, Martin, yeah. So I have worked in call centre environments now for 14 years. Um, I came to it in the same way many do in a call centre environment on a gap year. Um, <laughs> I thought I was going to get out and I'm, I'm still here. Um, I have spent a majority of my of my call centre career in a risk and compliance role, um, which has been very, very um, useful, certainly from a quality assurance perspective. Um, and I am now in a full-time quality assurance role and have been um, for the last year, really, really enjoying it, reigniting my passion for all things quality. And how, you know, the you mentioned some of the kind of the compliance and risk background. Mm-hmm. How, how has that helped in um, the transition? What kind of, what are some of the key things that have sort of stood out to you from now doing solely QA? I think for me, I've been really, really, it's been a mix of sort of both my personal journey, but also of how the financial services industry has changed in the time that I've spent in call centres. Um, so going right back from very traditional black and white regulation and the being on a journey with a financial now who very much focus on customer outcomes more principle-based regulation so it's given me a real understanding I think of what does it mean when you're assessing something as to whether it's compliance or not and I think 10 years ago that would have been was a statement read and now the question is did the customer understand it and I think that's been a real key journey of understanding for me and for us as an industry and really really important that we take that into the quality assurance journey. It seems like it's if, from the way you've described it there, um, customers are definitely going to benefit, but that's got to be more of a challenge for anyone responsible for administering that in terms of interpretation of what is right. Mm-hmm. I agree, absolutely. And I think no one's nailed to that one yet, I think, in terms of a quality assurance model. Um, I think if you look traditionally in a call centre at what a quality assessor you know, or the many titles that we give to these people who sort of monitor calls on a full-time basis. If you looked at their role, it's probably one of the most dynamic roles um, across the, the call centre that, that they hold. You're expecting these particular individuals to be, you know, strong analytical thinkers to be able to use computer systems in a very efficient way. You're also expecting them to understand call centre processes, customer experience and customer expectations. 
And a lot of the time now, especially if you work in a regulated environment, you're expecting them to have quite an in-depth knowledge of what the regulator expects. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at the advent of GDPR recently um, and how just as a consumer we've been bombarded with emails, Mm -hmm. you know, about whether we consent to 10 emails a day. But now we're trying to train our quality assessors to take that into account as well as is the customer happy at the end of the call. Um, It really is a, a versatile role and one that our training needs to keep on top of and just in terms of your own so your own journey um to this point now if you were to kind of this is a very difficult one but um if you were to sort of summarize um or anyone else looking to go and follow the same path what would be some of the key things that you've you've learned along the way that you'd want to share so i think for me if you are joining a call center environment now today um and you know, like me, it might have been a temporary, uh, a temporary thing, <laughs> yeah. or, or it might a be a fourteen-year gap year. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Or it might, you know, might be your life choice. Mm. So that's that's where you want to go. Mm. I think that you need to approach the industry, understanding that it's got, it's the middle of the spoke of a wheel. You know, you you can go off in so many different directions um, in this type of industry. Um, you know, you can start off in a call centre, certainly, as I did um, 14 years ago, taking telephone calls. And you can develop a, a career in, you know, in risk and compliance, in finance, in marketing, all of those things. If you grab the opportunity with both hands, mm. I think that would be my number one advice, which is in call centres, a lot of the promotional kind of moving on and the aspirational roles, certainly when I joined the call centre, was... I joined the call centre, then I'm going to become a team leader. Mm. And then if I'm fortunate, I might become a call centre leader and I'll be promoted up through the ranks that way. And I think don't just look at the opportunities traditionally. Don't look at them in that linear way. Look at the small opportunities that you might have um, that come up during you know, your day or your week or your month to make a difference to the company that you're working for and see where it takes you. And it could go so many different ways. Do you think we could do um, more in that sense? I, I can remember just the, the penny dropping um, one day very early in my career. Mine, mine was like yours. I, I joined after uni because um, I was struggling to find, in inverted commas, a proper job. Um, <laughs> and I, I can remember just thinking, hang on a minute. There's loads of other stuff going on here within this building. Um, yeah. Whether that was product marketing qa um now i kind of stayed within operations but do you think more can be done um to share that how how would how do you share that i think definitely more can be done um and i think companies are doing more of that now with their call center you know their frontline call center staff you know people are putting in um career pathways I'm really fortunate in the firm that I work at. They do an annual careers fair, so for all of the, you know, for all of the the non-operational departments, get an opportunity to convey what it is that they do every day and, and why they're there, um, which is fantastic. It's a great way to sell yourself. That's a great idea. Um, from a quality assurance perspective, it's really really useful as well to just get out in front of the business. You know, we're not we're not just the ones holding the clipboards telling people <laughs> what they're doing wrong, despite what many many may think. Um, and to get an opportunity to demonstrate to people that this can be quality assurance for me, Martin. And it's really one of my, my, my key passions and one of the, 
if not the biggest role that I took the role on in a full-time quality assurance capacity last year was that I have a real understanding and belief that quality assurance, you're utilising so many of those versatile skills that it can be the platform to launch you into a career that you really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, when they joined, joining the call centre 14 years ago, I, I paid my dues and I was on the phone for a year and a half um, at that particular time. Um, I then moved in to be a quality assessor. So I've done that well myself. Um, and I was in a quality insurance environment for, for three years. And it was that environment that gave me, you know, the curiosity, the passion and the understanding of what did risk and compliance do in this function, mm-hmm. you know, this, small, this small department, and gave me an insight into well, what quality assurance does, protects the company, can protect the business. So can com- risk and compliance, it just does it in a different way. Um, and so when I've joined the function that I'm working with now, it's very much working with people to say, you know, you can operate on so many of these different skills at the moment. So what's next for you? You know, use quality assurance as the platform um, because you can't expect, you know, a department full of people to all want to progress within a quality assurance function. But we can say, well, this is going to open doors for you. And it, it did for me um, 10 years ago. Um, and I genuinely believe that it can for others. Um, and that's kind of a key a key thing that drives me forward and gets me out of bed every morning. Um, and we can do that across the call centres. It's kind of getting people in the call centre environment to realise that it's not just that, I'm not just sat here answering calls. And if I don't get promoted to team leader, there's nowhere to go. Mm. F- um, there's other, other departments. And I think, you know what, that was some of the, those early conversations we were having um, when we were together at the CCMA, the special interest group that we, that we host with them around mm-hmm. your, you know, your passion came across just in terms of um, looking to disrupt some maybe still current thinking about um, what QA really does and what's possible in terms of letting people know QA is a is an industry in of itself within call centres that maybe has prob- has been overlooked and. I think I've shared with you before that prior to working at BPA, predominantly in an operational background, I had quite a narrow view of what was possible um, with QA, certainly to facilitate my teams. Has that been, you know, I know that's something that's key to you and just trying to disturb and maybe bring a bit more awareness as to what is possible. Absolutely. Yeah, You've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there, Martin. I think for me, quality assurance is traditionally, you know, I think if we're being really honest, and I use, you know, inverted speech bubbles around this, quality assurance is a function within a call centre environment, regardless of the industry, it's very much seen as, oh, those are the people that monitor the calls. Mm. Um, and I think if you went out and spoke to most people, whether they had worked in the call centre before or not, you always hear that your calls will be recorded for quality assurance purposes. We all know what that means. Yeah. Um, they would have the same view. Um, and I think that, that's just because of the way that quality assurance has evolved. It's evolved out of necessity because of regulation. Um, it's, it's evolved out of necessity because people need to implement those types of controls in place when we're talking to your customers. Um, is it going, going to be the number one reason that, you know, if you've got... You've got those top CEOs out there in, in the industry working with call centres. Are they waking up every morning and thinking about quality assurance? No, you know, I'm, I'm not naive to that. 
Um, and, and I don't want them to. You know, they shouldn't need to. That's not the kind of the vehicle quality insurance needs to take. Anyone who knows me will roll their eyes at me using the analogy, Martin. But you've heard me talk before. I, I love your analogies. It's, it's the most simple way of kind of trying to explain what I mean by it. So I've, I've seen quality assurance models work in call centres in different industries. And I often really try and to strip it back to basics. And quality assurance was mainly born in an engineering capacity. So it was born on the factory lines. Um, you know, and traditionally, though, you know, Many, many people staring, looking at conveyor belts to identify whether or not the product was any good. And there are times I often kind of consider quality assurance in call centres at the moment. I think actually if we were not call centres and we were, you know, biscuit factories, many of us may have gone out of business if we hadn't, you know, because regulation has driven us down the route of checking that no one chokes on the biscuit. Um, and there's no company out there selling any product, biscuits or otherwise, that are going to survive with a quality assurance function that only checks whether or not someone's going to choke. (laughs) You need to check whether or not the biscuit tastes any good. Is someone going to buy it again once they've tasted it once? You know, how does it feel when you open the packet? Does it feel like an event? You know, does it feel special? So for me, it's really kind of taking it back into... Seeing call centre transactions, and they can be digital or they can also be over the phone, as part of your product and service in a way that you can pick it up, you can taste it, you can touch it, you can open the packet, and you can really challenge yourself as to whether or not you'd go and buy it again. And that's been a key kind of analogy that I really drive forward Mm. whenever I work with anyone on quality assurance, which is just because it's not there and you can't hold it doesn't mean we can't apply those same kind of tangible principles to what it is that we're checking. I love that because it, it, you're, you're basically saying the interaction itself between the frontline team member and the customer is a widget. That's your product right there. Mm. Yeah. And, yep. and then the function, the functionality of looking at that then has so many far reaching um, benefits that can be applied back in the production line and even in the marketing and all of those different things of mm-hmm. your in this case, biscuit. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And it's, you know, it's simple, um, but it certainly helps in terms of just trying to position what it is that we're trying to achieve as an industry, I think. And also just trying to, quality assurance professionals talking to quality assurance professionals, we're all on the same page. You know, we all know mm. that we work in an environment that adds value because frankly, if we didn't, you know, we wouldn't get up in the morning and, and go to work. So we we all know. Um, sometimes it's, it feels like we're trying to convince everyone else that, you know, that we can have an impact on whether or not someone buys again, or we can have an impact on whether or not that customer's left feeling like they had an event, mm. you know, and, and a transaction that they would want to repeat or not. Mm. Um, so, no, it's a, it's a simple one, but it's, it is one that I use really, really regularly as an analogy to kind of get the point across. I love it. And I I would say that I'm probably one of the converted not just i mean because of working for bpa and we talk about the sphere of influence and Mm -hmm. what's possible i i would never have even considered that when looking at a new site engagement or a new product being launched or over and above are we doing things right for any regulator i would never have thought about um, utilizing qa or establishing the routines with a QA functionality, the function heads, a cadence and routines to say, tell us how you believe 
this new product might be perceived. And Mm -hmm. when you think about it, it's so obvious that you've got a team who their role and their job is to understand the interactions between teams and customers better than anybody else to be, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's rather than just a regulatory, I guess one of the things that we haven't touched on is the extent to which it's the QA has always facilitated coaching of frontline team members you must have seen that kind of develop over the years yeah absolutely yeah and I think quality assurance as a vehicle for coaching is really important as the the start and the end point um you know or or in the cycle so you know you do the quality assessment I think no matter what model you work in you then you know I would hope are providing feedback and then it's about not just talking about the outputs, not just saying, well, that, that's what happened and those are your results, be that a score or, a, you know, you know, five stars or however, however you kind of rate that interaction. Um, it's a lot of the feedback that you might dip into will be, you know, good call. That was a good call. Um, you know, but you've got to do your three-point data protection check. I'm sure no matter what industry <laughs> you flew in, they'd have heard that. Yeah. Um, actually, it's much more about why. And it's the, I think it's the coach's role in an environment like that. And, that, and that, when I say the coach's role, that could be, you know, that could be the team leader, could be a dedicated coach, mm-hmm. could be the quality assessor mm-hmm. in some models. Understanding why, um, you know, if that, why didn't they do that three-point data protection check as an example? You know, was it the system that threw them out or were they having a particularly difficult day? Is that something that's occurred a couple of times before? Do they need additional training? And really getting to the cause you know, why are those things happening? Just not on a mass scale like root cause analysis does when it turns your data into kind of actionable insight, but actually just sitting and having a conversation with someone and saying why. Mm. And the coach then being able to action that why, not action the output. And that's really, really key. I think that's the one where you can really significantly see improvement drives through quality assurance processes. And that also talks to the, as you mentioned at the outset, the the skill set that's required by the person within QA who knows that dependent on how they summarise what they've listened to and tap into their expertise in analysing that interaction, are they giving then, especially if there's a handover, so if there's a handover, like you say, to a team leader or a dedicated coach, is how they've summarised it, are they passing the baton effectively to allow that coaching session to to take place effectively you know Mm because at the at the outset of this you talked about how um what's being asked of people within QA is now so much more than maybe it was when you when you first started yeah if I was somebody that was walking around your careers fair which I just love this do you give out freebies by the way I'm sure there's the (laughs) the odd free pen so if I absolutely if I'm walking around the careers fair and I talk to you, if I were to ask kind of what would be the things that, how would you equip me to be able to take on what is now more and more, um, a more complex task? That's a tough, that's a tough question, Martin. I'm not sure I found the answer to it yet, but what I would say is, and, and I think it's a, it's a question of scale. Mm. So I always think that if you've got a, you know, a much smaller team, identifying training needs, you know, doing that regular 
coaching with your quality assessors can be easier than those that are operating with much larger quality assurance teams, you know, in terms of keeping them calibrated and making sure they're putting out the right consistent results. For me, my expectations of quality professionals, those that are coming in at that sort of entry level, you know, who are spending a majority of their time listening or monitoring customer transactions is not to expect all of those things from all of them. Mm. Um, and I think that's been something that certainly in the last year I've really settled on in terms of sort of understanding when you're working with people that you, you know, you can't expect yeah. a quality assessor to know all of those things. You can train them, you can give them good tools and good technology um, to support them in the role that they do. But it's also about kind of just leading them through strengths. So, you know, having a team of quality assessors where you can have your strong coaches, you know, and your strong motivators, and then you have your strong analysts. You delegate the work where you think it's best placed rather than spreading it more thinly and expecting everyone to be able to do a bit of everything um, and utilising that. And that would be kind of where we are right now. I think in the future it's developing you know and I know we've spoken about this before Martin but one of the things that I've sort of I've come across a bit of a, a bit wall on is industry recognised qualifications for quality professionals mm. you know that entry level mm. um, I've done a lot of research you you know you can find them in particular particular aspects of engineering or, or ISO um, quality management those types of things but actually a course that recognises you work in a call centre um and that could be regulated or non-regulated. And then this is, you know, most of the time what the job entails. Um, and I think that would be fantastic. I think not just for the individual's concern to be able to feel like it's, an, it's a recognised arena that they're playing in. Mm. But it could be phenomenal for leaders mm. to be able to say, OK, well, we've got that benchmark. We've got that benchmark to use and to potentially follow. And then the rest of it becomes down to what we do differently as a business. But they've got that underlying concrete knowledge of what is quality assurance in a call centre environment. And I think you're right in that it, it's okay not to, that not everyone, again, you're right, dependent on scale. If mm -hmm. I think about all of the different elements that QA touches, some of its process, some of it is um, the actual art of conversation, that you're mm -hmm. analysing the art of conversation and what that can mean and what does those human interactions look like as well as talking about you're analyzing the process you're analyzing this has the process been followed how can it be improved um and we've certainly seen large teams that maybe they want to move more from a a check of a process to better understanding how the conversations with customers can be improved whether that's to sell something or take the hand of a customer through quite a different complex um, process in, in the most customer-friendly way. And often you're asking people to do things that historically they haven't been able to, to do, haven't had any training in, don't necessarily have the right equipment to do it. But I think it's okay to, to recognize that and say, you know what, maybe part of my team are the ones that are, they might identify something that requires further analysis mm -hmm. by a, a subsection of the team or another department or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it's, you know, it is on scale. If you've only got, when I first started out in a quality team, there was four of us, you know, so it wouldn't have been realistic to expect 
you know, there to be specialist exactly. roles. Um, but, you know, if you do have, if you're fortunate enough to have that scale of size, you know, and, and also in terms of utilising those skills um, and, and having those pockets also means that, you know, in terms of career development for your quality assessors as they enter, enter through, you know, your door, you've got a journey that they can go on. Mm. It's not just, um, you know, you're coming here and you're going to listen to some calls and give some feedback and, uh, and that's kind of the end of it. It's taking them on a journey in terms of, you know, what interests you. Do you want to be, you know, do you want to be a, a coach or a trainer? Or do you want to be an analyst? Um, and we can take you through that journey. And what, I mean, can you give a size of the sort of scale of the team now and how that's evolved? So we are operating across four teams um, and it has evolved in, in line with the size of the business. So it's grown um, as your customer base and, you know, mm. as your employee base has. Um, and I think for me, it's it's fantastic. It's a fantastic position to be in as a, as a quality assurance professional to be able to have the scale in my team to be able to make some big changes as I say you know by utilizing people's you know skill sets um I've implemented a new career pathway into the team um and our key focus for our department is doing more of what you love um so we're able to allow a bit of flexibility within their day-to-day role to explore what quality assurance might do, how it might leverage their next career move, be that internally within the business or externally, um, you know, but also as with anyone with a large department, you've also got your challenges of, um, and certainly from a quality assurance perspective, you know, you're levelling, is your output consistent, mm. making sure that there are appropriate controls in place that ensure that service you're delivering back to the business that you're working for is absolutely, you know, as accurate as it possibly can be and it's really kind of giving good insight into what's really going on and does that involve how much do is what you do in terms of you're talking to your team about what's possible and the vision mm-hmm. how how much do you um or w- what's it like when you look at the kind of stakeholder engagement maybe people that um you know, I think so, I would I would say even with myself, I would have had a, a quite a narrow view of QA. Um, do, what kind of work have you done with some of your stakeholder engagement? No, I think if I come across another quality assurance professional um, in the short term, and if anyone's listening and they feel this, um, they feel this brief, then please reach out to <laughs> us. If I reach out to another quality assurance professional who can genuinely sit there and say, you know, I. I can spend as much money as I want, you know, I can have the team size as, as big as I want, um, you know, and there's no commercial challenge, you know, I'd, I'd buy them a pint for sure. <laughs> um, and I say that not just from a quality assurance perspective, I don't think that that is the only function in the call centre environment that gets that kind of pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any service area where there isn't that kind of, you know, bringing the money in. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, I could argue that till the cows come home in terms of how quality assurance could demonstrate um, you know, improved income, but you're always going to get that pushback. So for me, you know, I mean, I'm no, I'm talking to you now, Martin. I'm, I'm by nowhere near where where I want to be um, personally, and I don't think the industry's mm. ready. Mm. I don't think the, you know, we've spoken before. I don't think quality assurance as an industry in the call centre environment is not ready yet, um, and it, we just need to evolve. I believe quite quickly. 
um, so that we are fulfilling all of the brief. You know, this is not just kind of, did you do what you were supposed to do? Quality checking. And it becomes much more about, did we truly comply with the regulation? Not just did we read something from a script, but did we truly comply? You know, did the customer understand? And the regulator's got different expectations now about consumer behaviour and vulnerable customers. You know, are you truly delivering um, compliance or just ticking a box? And that's the next step of evolution that quality assurance and compliance professionals might have to go through. And then you've got all the other really important aspects which sometimes kind of get a little bit forgotten about around... The commercial aspects, you know, did you, was the income that you, you got from that particular transaction the best that it could be? How could that be improved on both an individual and then, a, you know, more of a looking at all of the transactions top down? How could you improve things? Looking at risk management practices, you know, quality assurance is a risk management practice across call centres is really, really vital um, as your first line control to understand whether you've got emerging risks, whether you've got something coming up that you should be working on straight away. And then you've got your customer, which, which I've saved till last, but, you know, really is, is really, really important um, in terms of giving quality assessors the flexibility and the freedom to be able to make a judgment, mm. to be able to say, do you know what, that customer had a phenomenal journey. Um, and I might not be able to put my finger on it. You know, it might not be a check mm. in a box mm. that says that that customer had phenomenal because, you know, we mentioned, and I've never used this model myself, but I've come across it. I've used their first name three times in the call. Therefore, it was excellent. Um, and actually, it was just a great call. Yeah. I, can't tell you, I can't tell you why it was. I just know it was. I just feel it. Um, and moving away from that kind of checklist approach and being able to give that real, you know, you've used the term before, that real actionable insight. Mm. Um, and you don't get actionable insight from ticking a box. No. You can't. No. You have to do so many different transactions to identify key trends. You know, if if I could say anything to anyone, it's, you know, if you've got a quality assessor in front of you telling you something, they're, they're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because I've come across many examples where, you know, someone sort of said, that's a bit strange. I've heard this on, you know, on the third call today. And actually you've dug deep in what they've identified as the tip of an iceberg mm. um, because they get it. You know, they know every cog in that machine mm. and how it should be working. And they are also very, very quick at identifying that's, that's not right. I can't, I can't 100% put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. It doesn't feel like something's gone slightly off. And if they've got the freedom and flexibility to be able to pass it on to someone or to be able to take some autonomy and look into that themselves, that's really, for me, how quality assurance becomes less about detection and becomes much more about prevention. Mm. And that's the huge, you know, if I could summarise our, our evolution as an industry in the longer term, that's really what quality assurance needs to be. And that's where the value lies. That's where we're going to be able to stand up in front of any stakeholder who might not be 100% on board with us. If we can stand up in front of them and say, this isn't just us about finding what went wrong. I'm going to stop it happening in the first place. Business case writes itself. Mm. I think that's dead right. I think everyone can resonate. If you work in a contact centre, you are constantly in a process of justifying to the rest of the business that isn't contact center based that the contact center isn't a um, cost center. And then within that, you have the QA team probably has to do more um, selling of what's possible. And that, like you say, that you can make a real difference over and above 
regulatory reassurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. Do you know what? I had a very interesting conversation with um, my sister uh, this weekend just gone. Now, she's been a paramedic for 15 years. And um, mm-hmm. she, I was telling her about the story about my daughter not really understanding uh, what I do. And I use something you said earlier, which I tend to use as a very quick way of letting people understand, maybe not in the industry, uh, what, what I do currently now. And I said, oh, you know, when it says calls are recorded, blah, blah, blah. And my sister went, yeah. oh, right. Yeah, OK. And I said, it probably touches your life, though. And that's the thing that people don't realize. And she said, yeah. oh, wh- what do you mean? And I said, OK, you you must deal with a call center that is associated with 999 emergency services nhs and she went yeah yeah we will we will speak to um the call handler or if not the call handler the call handler will sometimes talk to somebody else in the contact center who then contacts my sister and other paramedics in an ambulance right and i Mm -hmm. and i said okay so when you get that information what's important to you and she said well i don't want them to say hello I need to know first and foremost where I'm going and the address is critical because if there's something I need to know about the address over and above what Satnav will tell you, this could this is a difference between getting to someone in time and not getting to someone mm-hmm. in time. And I also need to know very, very quickly what I'm um, driving into and what's been done so far. And I said, okay, and how long are those calls normally? She said, maybe a minute, two minutes at maximum. And I said, what's interesting is someone somewhere would have, would be monitoring those calls and um, making sure that they deliver all of that information you've just said in the most efficient way possible because their KPIs are kind of like life yeah. and death. Yeah. And she said, yeah, really? Wow, that's that's QA. And I said, yeah. But what's interesting is in the whole time she's been doing the job, um, no one's ever actually collected what she what she wants, or maybe they have actually, but not personally, not for her. No one's actually said, other than when we were, we were talking about it, what's important. Yeah. Um, someone must have got it right though, because they she's noticed this evolution from even even that thing about saying hello. You don't mm-hmm. need it; it's unnecessary. Tell us where we're going and what we're going into, and then we then we can be prepared to to do it when we get there. Yeah, yeah. It's it is you know, and and to use you know to use your sister as an example, Martin. It touches it touches people in so many ways, and this is why I, you know, I'm I'm really passionate about disrupting the quality assurance piece a little bit and trying to kind of push forward and saying you know we're here. Um, is you know the ambulance your sister is in was quality checked mm. um, and and we all go through life and sometimes you know sometimes quality assurance will test whether the brakes work you know yeah. whether we're going to be left on the motorway hard shoulder and sometimes quality assurance checks that when we're on the phone to you know a financial services uh, company who we've paid you know good money to is doing the right thing. Mm. But it, it touches us. You know, I'm pretty certain that, you know, if your sister got to her ambulance in the morning and they said, you know what, we went out of time to do all the checks <laughs> on, the, on the gear last night. Yeah. So it's kind of best endeavours today. You know, good yeah. luck. We, just, we were just too busy to check it. We think you've got everything you need. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but we didn't do the final. You did the final look. I'm not sure she'd be too happy about getting in the ambulance that morning. And that's a key thing for me, you know, about quality assurance. And whenever I speak with people who are struggling to engage with stakeholders or struggling to really push quality up to that top of the agenda to talk about and get it prioritised as, as an object, which is, you know, think about it in real life scenarios. You know, mm. think, think about, you know, booking a holiday with a travel agent. And that travel agent says, do you know what, we, we've just been so busy um, we haven't we haven't done enough to make sure that we've been sending people out to check your hotel. So, you know, we think it's all right. We think your hotel's going to be fine. Just let us know when you get out there, it'll be fine. You know, you're not going to feel the same as a consumer. Mm. Um, would, do you buy a product with that kind of levels of confidence? I wouldn't. No. I'd be like, no, um, yeah, I'm fine, actually. I'll probably pop next door and and, and book somewhere else. Um, it, it does touch us in lots of different ways. It does, doesn't it? And you know what? Maybe even within BPA and our special interest groups where we're talking with people as knowledgeable and as passionate as you about this, even maybe we're guilty of not um, thinking about that. Because we, as you know, we we talk about this sphere of influence, what's possible, that the mm-hmm. QA team is the queen on the chessboard, can kind of go all moves. Yeah. Pedantic people have pointed out rightly that the Queen can't move the same way a knight can, but um, (laughs) that's something else. But maybe it does us well to consider, to use your biscuit analogy, the real-life implications. So we're not just thinking about our world within the contact centre. We're thinking about the concept of quality assurance, um, the methodology, and also, to your earlier point, that there's a real opportunity for people if they seize it to get a really good career out of this with some great, great skills that are transferable to lots of different areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's quality assurance. And I've done, and I say I've paid my dues. I've done the, I've done the role myself. Um, it's a, it's a tough, tough job, you know, as is the people that are taking the calls in the first place. Um, you know, you're you're listening to customer calls for a majority mm. of the day. That takes an insane level of concentration, mm. you know, and, and so many different skills and behaviours that are required. It's incredibly transferable. Um, and it's a fantastic vehicle to develop people. Um, as I say, you know, earlier on, it's one of the, the, the key reasons that attracted me to the role that I'm in now, which is, is it can be a vehicle to, to develop people into what it is that they want to do with their careers. Um in, in the call center or or otherwise so what transfer those skills around so what's finally what's got you um well two things first of all what's next for you and and the team or where are you what's in the kind of maybe short to medium term for what's possible with um qa what what's got you excited so what's kind of got me excited recently is that and the, the whole industry is taking a move towards this. Now, the call centre industry, not just financial services, but, you know, really understanding and nailing what customer outcomes monitoring looks like. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's exciting to me because you're not just testing one end of the journey. So you're not just testing what the CR says or the, the, the first person says. You're testing how the customer receives it. And that's exciting to me. I think that's, that's something that's just bubbling up now um, as a new test in terms of before, like I said, you know, 
did you do a three-point data protection check, yes or no? Um, but now we're going to go beyond that mm. and say, well, did the customer understand the question you were asking? You know, did you help them? Did they demonstrate vulnerability that we potentially needed to, to work with them on? So it's going to be more about that two-way interaction. That's really, really exciting to me. And that's something that, you know, I think will keep me busy for a little while. Um, <laughs> so it needs lots of testing. Um, and it can't be black and white. It can't be yes or no. So there's lots of sort of training and, and knowledge gaps that needs to be filled on those. That's exciting. I think longer term for me, I just think it's about having more of these types of conversations, Martin, with lots of different people mm. and having a vehicle to do it. I think um, the CCMA Specialist Interest Group has been fantastic for me. Um, I think it's been fantastic for those that attend to just get around the table to like-minded people. And that's fantastic. But for me, I want to get in front of the insurance group or the call centre. I, mean, I want to get in front of the four or the mm. 500 members of the CCMA and talk about why should they care about quality assurance? You know, why should it be on their agenda? If you're a commercial manager or you're, a, you know, a training manager, you work in HR, you work in the post room, you, you know, you, you're doing many of those different corners. Why is quality assurance important to you as a business and to you as a function? And that for me is, a, you know, kind of a personal goal that I'll be pursuing myself um, outside of work just in terms of continuing, I hope, to... Um, to converse with you and listening to your podcast and start <laughs> to consider um, start to consider using, you know, other vehicles like a blog. Yeah. Um, to kind of track that evolution over the next couple of years. It's something that I'm excited to um, to get going. So it's a it's an interesting time for quality insurance. We're definitely on the precipice, Martin. We are. We're the vanguard. We absolutely are. I know. Um, it's, uh, it's exciting. And when we get together, I feel like sometimes we have to be put back in our box. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, it is, it is exciting. Yeah, um, and I can, I can, I could go on for hours and hours about the benefits of it. Um, you know, and happily, Martin would come back again and have a conversation. You know, maybe eventually even get someone who's really anti-quality assurance and doesn't believe yeah. the things that we're telling them, and let's kind of debate it out a little yeah. bit. But, um, but, yeah, no, it's been a really great opportunity to talk to you today, Martin. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Definitely. Well, that, do you know what? That was my second question, which was, yeah. I know, um, and now I know the answer was, would you come back on again and carry on talking? Because, again, like I said right at the start, it was conversations with you and a couple of other people that just made me think, I'm sure people would be interested in this. Like you say, even if they go, no, I don't recognise what you're saying or I don't, mm-hmm. I don't agree. Um, yeah, th- it would be great to carry on these um, conversations. So, yeah, yeah, and and you know, if someone doesn't agree, that's that's good. I want that. I want that engagement. Mm. Just give those people, those quality assurance people, that a little bit of space to prove you wrong. Great. That would be my. That that's kind of you know, if anyone could take anything from that today, you know, if you don't one hundred percent believe, it, it's fine. You know. It might work, it might not, but just give them an opportunity to try something new. That's brilliant. And that, that's a perfect uh, place to, to finish now. Rachel, thanks so much. It's, as always, it's been, it's been great to talk to you and um, we'll definitely have to arrange the next, the next one, I'm sure. Brilliant. Thanks, Martin. All right, thanks. See you. Bye-bye. Bye.
Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Duchess potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. There's a monumental shift in power at work. Employees are speaking up. Turnover is rising. Salaries are increasing. Hiring is tough. And burnout is real. It's time to unleash growth. It's time to transform your HR from powerless to powerful. Join ADP on February the 23rd. Reserve your spot now. Go to gettheplan.adp.com to register for the Work Interrupted Summit.